Code Fun Podcast Network. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash sustain. And welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source in the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Today, Justin. Hello, everyone. And I, hello, everyone. We'll be talking with two people, which is a new thing for this podcast. I hope it goes really well. They're both from the Open Street Map Project. First, we have Maggie Colley, the executive director of the American OpenStreetMap, is that right, Maggie? OpenStreetMap US, yes. Thank you, Richard. US, very different. Nomenclature is important, so I wouldn't want to mess up topographical places. And we have Alyssa, who just talked. Alyssa Wright, current board member and has been for the past five years of OpenStreetMap. Yes, also from OpenStreetMap US. Again, both Maggie and I are very much like intertwined with the, you know, the foundation. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here and to talk about OpenStreetMap US and what we've been doing and, and learning and with our executive director. So first off, thank you both for being here. Now, you said intertwined, which is great, but it's a bit of a Gordian knot for me. I'm a bit confused. I suspect our listeners maybe also. What is OpenStreetMap? What is OpenStreetMap in US? How are they different? What do you do? So OpenStreetMap, if you haven't heard of it, is the largest freely editable open source map of the world. Anyone can sign up to edit. You can edit your backyard. You can edit someone else's backyard. Um, it's been growing for the last 15 years. When it started in 2003, it was someone driving around England with their GPS on a bike and uploading those tracks to the uh, web for other people to use and download. OpenStreetMap US is a nonprofit based here in the US that um, works to advocate for, grow, educate around OpenStreetMap, make sure that data quality is, is there and there's continued access to OpenStreetMap, not only the data, but the ability to edit it. There is a broader foundation, the Global Foundation, OpenStreetMap Foundation, uh, and they are responsible for the main server that holds all of that rich map data. And they have chapters throughout the world and local groups that do similar things to OpenStreetMap US. That's fascinating. How many people are all together in the OpenStreetMap world in your biosphere? How many people live? I think the latest count is about 5 million people have signed up for an account across the world. Wow, that's amazing. How many contributing editors do you have, contributing people working on it? At least a million of those people who have signed up had made edits to the map. Wow. We have a tracker bot, so every new mapper in the U.S. that makes an edit, we get, uh, we see that on Slack. On a given day, we get 40 to 50 people making their first edit. That's super great. Okay, so it's something like Wikipedia meshed with map. So it's anyone can edit it, anyone can help out. All you have to do is sign up and you can start putting together your tracks and also seeing other people, where other people have gone and what they're doing and how we collaboratively make a giant map of the world. Exactly. And, and you know, one of the key points there too is that once you put the data into OpenStreetMap, you can also take it back out. It belongs to everyone. So if you want to make your own map of all the bus stops you just mapped, you can do that. I think it's a useful distinction that OpenStreetMap for me, at least, is, is both an open data project and people are contributing data 
validating data, uh, using the data to make their own maps, to edit like an existing map. So it's a data project and there's a huge like database that one has access to. And it's also an open software project where people are, are building tools to analyze that data, to process it, to serve it, to design it. And so I, I think it's even unique from Wikipedia, though there's a lot of like software development you know, happening in that context as well, that it, it really combines, like I think, many different parts of the kind of open ecosystem and touching upon, in some respects, like many you know, communities as well. Real quick, so the map data, how is that licensed? Is it a Creative Commons or? Open database license. There was a recent switch from Creative Commons a few years ago, which was really a great thing for the community. I think they all came together on that effort, <laughs> meaning it was a difficult change. But yeah, it's ODBL. So was it really a hard sell to the community or was it an easy one? Like I didn't know if it was a sarcasm or not. I wasn't part of the process at the time, so I can't completely speak to it, to be honest. But I, from what I heard, it was, you know, you're, you have a very decentralized community and getting consensus in a community like OpenStreetMap can just take time, really, to make sure that everybody's on the same page and everyone's happy with the results. So I imagine with the license change, that would be no exception. I think it's interesting. I was on the licensing working group in part because, you know, I don't, there's so many nuances, I think, to open licenses in, in general. And I, I was really interested in, in learning more. And ODBL, it's a unique license. And there are a lot of questions, I think, that emerge both from like individual contributors and the companies and institutions that are interested in using and contributing to OpenStreetMap. I think what's really interesting about both the, the community and like how it's evolved is that for us to transition to ODBL, we voted, it was in our bylaws, our international bylaws that we voted on it. And I think a certain amount of the community, potentially two thirds, had to participate and transition to that, that license. And I wasn't around during that time either. So there might be more uh, and a lot more nuance to that. So we were all involved in that transition. And, you know, there are legal questions about using and working with and contributing to OpenStreetMap. And the licensing working group has been, I think, really important in bringing um, legal expertise into the OpenStreetMap, like, again, ecosystem. That, again, this diversification of, of expertise is really important to us. And so it's not just, like, say, programmers or, or editors that are trying to figure out what that means um, in context and to like the legal you know, structures that we're part of, but also like lawyers who are experts in the field have become part of our like community as well. I think that's amazing because license changes typically are very, very hard to do with some licenses. Like uh, I think Mozilla changed a license for one of their projects and they had to get signatures for every single committer and it took forever. And um, it seems like this went a little smoother because you had other processes in place or bylaws or however you want to explain it. Thanks for sharing that because I had no idea. I, th I thought everything would just be Creative Commons. So, Yeah, and the legal entity behind OpenStreetMap project is the OSM Foundation, which is a UK registered nonprofit. They have a membership base and they're all due paying members and they help to make changes in the bylaws, you know, adopt new licenses and are made up by people from all over the world. 
Thank you so much for elucidating about the licensing. It's really interesting to us as the people making this podcast because open source is a lot about licensing. At the end of the day, that's what makes something open source. And so it's interesting, even though a lot of people think it's just the technical side or the legal side, it doesn't really matter because open source is about community. But we found over time that where your licensing is, is often where your community goes. But in this case, maybe it's a bit different because the OSMF, the Open Street Map Foundation and Osmus, as I'm going to start calling it, which you probably do as well, the Open Street Map US segment are slightly different. And so what I'm interested in is actually what you're doing as the executive director, as the board member for Osmus. How do you see Osmus growing and perhaps in relation to OSMF and or what are you, you know, what's happening there? How could you best describe the differences to, to me, just an ignorant layman? Yes, I love to talk about what we're doing because the beautiful thing about being OpenStreetMap US is that we get to focus on all of the wonderful volunteers and mappers that make up our community. So a lot of what we're doing right now is around community engagement, helping to strengthen our networks, getting people involved, you know, where, where they're interested. You know, we're starting to uh, reintroduce the committee structure. So we have three committees starting to form right now, one for our State of the Map US conference, which is our annual conference bringing together people around OpenStreetMap in the US that will be in Tucson this year. We also recently formed a code of conduct committee. So five willing volunteers came together to help us, you know, strengthen our code of conduct and rebuild that, you know, create a safer community. We also, one of the places that I feel like OpenStreetMap could really be bolstered in the US is especially in the government space. So we have people showing interest in forming a committee that will go out and help uh, local governments, federal government, figure out ways to integrate OpenStreetMap data into their workflows. So, I mean, there's just a few things, but a lot of the work that I'm doing is, is a, really around talking to volunteers, talking to stakeholders, and seeing how we can help as an organization. That's fascinating. One of the things I'm interested in, what you're talking about, is really engaging with the community full full force. and. For this level of project, it's very different from, say, a, a back-level dependency that is used by 100 developers and very large projects, but has maybe five people who know about it. For OpenStreetMap, it's much more everyone is here, everyone all the time, which means you need to think about sustainability in terms of how do you keep those people happy and how do you keep them contributing and how to make sure that they have full lives and don't you know, burn out, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess my first question, I have so many. My first question is, the code of conduct, you only just started one? Or what changed? <laughs> so historically, we've always had a code of conduct at our state of the map US conferences. So that that hasn't changed. But you know, I I spent like the first nine months of my position talking to a lot of people, seeing, you know, why are they not engaged? Why are they engaged? And many people said that they wanted to know that there was a safe space to communicate. Here in the US, many of our mappers and our volunteers use Slack to communicate. And one of my first steps was to say, how do we make that safer, right? So to be able to expand our code of conduct to cover all of our online spaces, because really, most of the time, we are an online community. I love that. Is it the case with Osmos, the same as, say, uh, the Python Foundation, where your one conference of the year is kind of the big thing that sort of funds the whole effort? Yes. I mean, historically, if you look back at the last nine years of OpenStreetMap US, we have historically been funded around our annual conference. And that's where we were born, we were born to facilitate that annual gathering. So, you know, all of our contributions would come through conference donations and membership and uh, ticket sales. So now we're in a position where we have great ambitions and we 
need to diversify that and start looking for other ways to fund programs in addition to that conference. I will say also in addition to the conference and the significance and the revenue generation of that cannot be understated. But also the Craig Newmark Foundation has been a very generous funder as well and really unsolicited. And one of the things that we are looking to do in terms of, you know, both our fundraising efforts, gathering a, a larger runway is to, as Maggie says, like to diversify that and to reach out to other uh, foundations and, you know, corporate partners and academic partners that are part of like the community, but may not have avenues to like financially support the work that we're doing and, and they're a part of. What percentage does Craig from Craigslist, the creator of Craigslist, what is the percentage of money that he gives to your annual budget? It's changed over the years. I think it has ranged between like 50 and 75,000. So it's, it's quite generous. So let me ask you another question regarding sustainability. So you said earlier about server cost. Is that donated cloud services or do you pay out of pocket for some like bare metal out of data center? Like how, what's the cost of running OpenStreetMap as a service? That cost is the responsibility of the OpenStreetMap Foundation. And actually it is bare metal. They just recently moved them onto trucks, I believe. So there are donations for those costs. They're covered by corporate and personal donations to the foundation, not to OpenStreetMap US. We have a few servers that we run that are donated for the most part here in the U.S. to the universities. I was thinking earlier on that most of your members are kind of individuals who are just interested in mapping, but that's probably not true. You probably have a ton of different types of, of people in the community, as you just said, foundations, Craigslist. Could you describe a bit more? What does your membership look like? Yeah, I mean, our community is it's pretty diverse in its roles. We have your, in, your individual data contributors, your Saturday mappers. People like to do it in their free time. There's company contributors. And you have like the technology maintainers and the people who are building the software to help build the editors, academic researchers, public service, small governments. I think we touch on, we touch on so many different things. Educators. I mean, now we're, we're seeing high school teachers teaching about OpenStreetMap in the classroom. And you have high school students, there's youth mappers, there's all these college students created a huge network all over the world. Uh, I think humanitarian mappers are a, a really significant contributor as well, both for, say, the, you know, the Puerto Rican, like what's happened in Puerto Rico. So both for the U.S. Um, geography specifically, as well as people in the U.S. contributing both technologies and data and to crisis spaces globally. And I think that one of the reasons why there is a, a diversity and always has been in terms of the people both contributing to the map and contributing to technologies and working with them is because like, you know, we don't really think about it, or at least I hadn't thought about it all the time, but like mapping is such an important and integral part to almost anything that we're building. I always point to my phone. It's like, you know, this is essentially a map that we're carrying around with us constantly. And whether we're talking about like, data privacy in our location, like, you know, movement or crime statistics or, you know, this coronavirus, you know, like this is grounded in space and we're grounded in space. And anything that we're building right now in like this technical sphere has a place to it. And so I think that's what's really exciting about um, working within like the mapping ecosystem 
not only the open source ecosystem, but the combination of both. It's really exciting because it's so many people coming together. And I will also say in one of like the, I think the roles that we serve in the kind of leadership of OpenStreetMap US is that there's also people that have very different ambitions and agendas and, you know, reasons for why they're contributing to the map as well. That doesn't have to be all the same. And yet we're able to come together. And one of the reasons why I think the the conference has been so important is that we're able to come together and, and talk with one another. We have, and I, I find it really important and why I've been involved for so long, I think a really productive tenor of dialogue within the US specifically, and one that's you know very supportive and open and moderated. And so again, people with many different types of reasons like can come together and work together on like a shared map. I, I love that. And it sounds awesome. And I also now want to go out and use the software because I would use it all the time. I'm always birding on various things and I need maps for birds. One of the things I'm curious about though, is that I don't seem to see a lot of edge cases. It seems to be working really well. It seems like everything is great. Yeah. And so what's hard? What's really difficult at the moment? What does sustainability look like that's a problem for you that you're really trying to face? You have a new COC community. That's great. That'll help with violations. What else? I mean, I think it's important that when we think about challenges that, you know, we approach them as learning opportunities. I think that, again, you know, we've been around, it's our 10-year anniversary. OpenStreetMap as a project has been around for almost 15 years. Like, there have definitely been many opportunities for learning and growth. And I think that, again, one of the reasons why I think we've both been involved with this community for, for a long time has been all of those transformations. And so I don't mean to like, you know, put on rose colored glasses or anything. I mean, I, I think that the, the challenges have been definitely as useful, but also as interesting as any of the things that have been working smoothly. I will say some of the challenges um, has been the legal questions, you know, like what is what does OpenStreetMap look like, you know, in a corporate setting? I, I don't know if that was its original you know, intent or even the intent of the legal structure, but now, you know, it's being applied in that space. What does it look like in the, the federal government space, you know? So mm. there are a lot of challenges when it comes to like the, the legal structure. I think another one that I continually am interested in is like, you know, OpenStreetMap is both used by and contributed to large, like the big tech in the U.S. They are based in the U.S. They are like physically part of our community. They are influential on a global scale. And they are, again, both, you know, very important contributors and users, quote unquote, consumers of the map. And so that balance of how do we as a project, as a community of individuals and volunteers relate to and work with the corporate, the government, the, you know, the academic space, I think those are, have all been challenges. And really important ones. And I think important ones for, for us to understand who we are as a project as well and who we are as a community. I definitely plus one to all that. And that's kind of where my thinking was going is, I mean, one of my personal challenges is that there's so much potential, right? And there's so much we can do as an organization to you know, advocate for OpenStreetMap and educate around it. But it's also, you know, everyone who's mapping has a different motivation for doing so. So that also translates into different expectations from what they're mapping and what, what that product should be. So kind of being able to navigate that and provide support that, that honors all of that. 
And also, I mean, as a, as a first paid staff within the OpenStreetMap US community and pretty much globally, it's like stepping in as a paid person to work on OpenStreetMap in this role and still honoring those norms that made this community so great to begin with. I think another challenge is kind of the context that we work in, in terms of mapping specifically. And Maggie has been deeply involved in map education and, you know, OpenStreetMap education and, and the founder of Teach OSM, which is like one of the most significant vectors of teaching, like mapping literacy in the education space and the, like the young education space. And, and I think, you know, we are as many leaders in open source, you know, coming from developed countries, like we, we think that mapping is all figured out. Like I just go to my phone and I know how to navigate from point A to point B. I have an address. I know where like, you know, traffic is, you know, like, and so we think this is a solved problem. And anybody who's worked closely with location, whether that's like making your, you know, your dating app to you're again back to you know prime statistics or how do you do health logistics after a hurricane? Like anybody who's worked with mapping in all these different contexts know that this is not a solved problem. And you know, like for instance, I think it's billions of people in this world do not have an address. And so without an address, that means you don't have a legal right to your land or where you might be living. May may not be considered your land, and you know, so things like that remain an open question. Roads, so many roads, like an infrastructure of you know physical infrastructure of our world are not mapped or are changing. And and something that's really exciting, I think, about data and thinking about data is how much is, is static data, which we look to support with a shared map, and how much is real time and predictive. And so I think one of the challenges of, of OpenStreetMap as like an international community is bringing a location into a larger conversation that we're a part of as we make technologies and the importance of having a open edible map that as Maggie says can honor all the reasons why you might use like location you know in your creation. Yeah to add to that I think one of the challenges in the data is like you know if we go in and do a mapathon last year you know we maybe we mapped all of South Florida. Uh, the challenge is keeping that data fresh. Right? Uh, we don't want the data to get stale. We want people to continue to call it uh, map gardening, right? continue to, to tend those data and, and be the champion for that part of the world. The good thing is, though, I mean, if you're mapping a center line in Tallahassee and you're mapping a set of lines in Tahiti, like, that's the same schema. So, I mean, that really enables solving a lot of problems around data standards. I love that, the map gardening. I think that's really, really interesting. With that said, obviously the 800 pound gorilla in the space is Google Maps. How do you differentiate between that? Like, you know, why would people use, actually, you know what? One reason why we used OpenStreetMap for the sustain website is because we couldn't get the API key to work for Google Maps. So that's one reason. But besides that, what's the others like? What do you see people going, oh, I'm going with OpenStreetMap over Google Maps or whatever others? You know, it's very well known that Google's going to map where they have commercial interest. So there's so many places in the world where they do not, and they are not very well mapped. I mean, I've heard so many stories, and I'm trying to collect them all so we can put out some kind of, you know, why I map an OpenStreetMap, but, you know, people's road names are wrong or the street turned the wrong way, and they were frustrated. They couldn't change it in Google Maps, so they... They found OpenStreetMap so they could make that change. So it's that empowerment factor. I also, I mean, OpenStreetMap 
enables people to build on top of it. So it's not always the end product. It's, it's, it's often the backbone of something else that somebody creates and they can do that for free. One of the other reasons, well, first of all, I think that every organization, every, like, again, commercial entity is a potential partner. Google has been a sponsor for our events and we have a, a conversation, again, even for what I was saying before, like the importance of mapping in our technology literacy. I think one of the reasons, um, even early on, that organizations were choosing to use OpenStreetMap rather than Google Maps, I would say for, for two reasons. One is the the ability, I think we don't want to underestimate like kind of the design aspect to cartography and to be able to like make a map that represents your interests. Like maybe it's birds. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you, as you were saying, Richard, like you can't necessarily make that type of map you know, with, with Google Maps. And so, you know, you, you can design a map that's like specific to and honors, again, your, your interests, your branding, like your, your question. Every map has its place, right? So, I mean, I don't think it's one or the other. I think they both do what they're best at, right? At least, at least now. I would also say for, hum- I mean, I don't want to understate the humanitarian piece as well. And I think that like our success, our OpenStreetMap success of like being able to crowdsource after an event and have like thousands of people like responding to the Nepal earthquake and then that like informing like how health relief like in, and logistics are being done. Like the OpenStreetMap has been like a really important part and the real-time editing has been an important part to crisis response. And, and that sort of happens with the satellite providers. So after an event happens, like an earthquake like a hurricane, the satellite providers, the imagery providers will provide the OpenStreetMap community with the updated and most current imagery. And then people from all over the world will edit, for instance, like road you know, accessibility from that imagery during the Haiti earthquake, which was a really important like jettison point for OpenStreetMap and really kind of increased participation and impact of OpenStreetMap. There was also a translation. So, you know, people who, who knew Creole were able to, you know, again, participate and provide like, you know, real-time information to others who are on the ground, both providing relief and uh, victims of an event. So I think that the experience and the impact of OpenStreetMap in, in these types of environments has actually had a positive influence on Google Maps. Google Maps has like since from like the Haiti earthquake has, has since created like crowdsource and crisis response to their own systems as well. So first of all, like, I think we're, I mean, they're, they're different maps for different reasons, but also we're in dialogue with a lot of map providers. And I think improving all of our maps for all of those different reasons. And I'll just give a shout out. The nonprofit that does all these activation is, is called Humanitarian OpenStreetMap Team. They go by HOT. They are integral to a lot of this humanitarian mapping. This is really interesting. I never knew that was like the case. One thing that I got thinking though, and not to be a pessimist, but how do you deal with possible misinformation, especially with situations like earthquakes and tornadoes and all that? How do you deal with, whether it's malicious or not, but misinformation? Like, have you had an issue with that? Have you had to put out statements like, you know, this isn't right? How do you deal with that? You know, as the map has evolved and grown, it has so have our validation abilities. So there's 
there's so many teams out there working to make sure that they're all good edits and catching things that are definitely not supposed to be in OpenStreetMap. All of those, you know, corporate editors we mentioned, many of them have teams. So it's very good validation um, technology to comb the map for, you know, slurs and profanity and drawing a building that looks like something that shouldn't look like. Yeah, we get, I feel like the first few years that I was part of this project, I got the quality question a lot more. And thankfully that, that question is getting quieter and, and fewer and far between. Yeah, I've heard it like maybe like five or 10 years ago, but I haven't heard anything since. And that's anecdotal, totally. But still, it shows that your processes are working or else there would, you know, TechCrunch and all the other blogs and, and news sources would love to write a clickbait article of how OpenStreetMap is failing to fix this and that. So, you know, it shows that. Place is personal. So if I'm editing Baltimore, which is where I am, and someone else changes the name of my street, like I want to fix that and I'm going to call it out. You know, so a lot of people are take pride in their edits and they want to make sure that they remain, they have that integrity. I, I think what's interesting about like b- bad data on the map is that most often they're not malicious, they're mistakes. For instance, when like I was editing a lot in Nepal actually before the, the earthquake, but when the earthquake happened, I was actually really nervous and scared to make edits because what if I did something wrong? And what if this like actually affected like how people were going to respond on the ground? Like that is definitely not my intent. And and it was as ironic because beforehand I was editing the rooftops and the vulnerabilities of Nepal before the, the event. And I found that this sort of hesitation is really common. And I would actually say somewhat or I've seen it maybe anecdotally gendered and geographically like um, biased as well. And I think what's really interesting in terms of the processes that we've put in place to help different levels of, of contribution is, and the HOT I think has done this really well, is to indicate beginner, intermediate, advanced type of edits. And there's a validation process that they have for people who are really experienced in mapping to come in and to, to look at the edits. And I think that that's really powerful, even for learning. Like I remember one time, this is for, we were mapping, um, I don't know if you remember, but there was uh, factories in, in Bangladesh that had collapsed. And so we were mapping factories in Bangladesh to inform both like the supply chain and the vulnerabilities of people in that space. And I was sitting next to someone who was a professional cartographer and what he saw looking at a satellite imagery was so much more fine-tuned than what how I understood space and you know the map. And so that ability to learn from uh, people that are more experienced, I think, is really powerful. So that you know, again, we we all maybe have different reasons for editing a map, but to learn from one another, I think, is really important. That we've structured contribution to to facilitate that. There are also tools like our editing tools. There are a couple of different ways one can edit the map. And JAWSM is one of the, the oldest one. They have validation rules when editing the map as well. So, And then there are even like informal working groups that have come together because they have put in like internal processes, as Maggie was saying, to scan for like, you know, keywords that maybe should, you know, need to be reviewed. And so I think that making data, the, the quality of data is 
really important um, in OpenStreetMap and for its relevance needs to be something that you can trust. Like you need to be able to trust the map. But looking at the problem from many different perspectives and implementing many different like tooling in order to ensure that trust, I think has been like a really important like evolution of the map. I mean, at the end of the day, I think more people want to build something up than tear it down too, which also helps. So that kind of brings me into, I keep coming back to this question of sustainability. What does it mean for OpenStreetMaps? And so it's, you're a really established organization. You've been around for pretty much a decade. You know what's happening going forward. You have committees, you have structure, you have people at the top who have an idea of leadership and, and, and what goes on and, and what the vision is moving forward. And I think that's something which I don't often see in open source projects. Because their main problem isn't always wetware. It's not always how do you keep everyone aligned to build and work together? How do you make sure that everyone's working on the same product, doing it with the same intentions and the same, able to focus if they want to, but with the same sort of guidance? And it seems to me that that's the number one thing that is really needed for OpenStreetMaps to continue sustaining itself and to go forward is this sort of vision processing and getting everyone on the same page or at least on the same page in each chapter. I'm assuming that you do this in your annual conference. Are, are there other ways that you think about this sort of framing of your community and moving forward? I mean, if the end result is building the best map of the world, I mean, I think that vision is, is hard to shake, right? So, I mean, everyone has that same intention. Mm -hmm. Everything they do is towards building the best map of the world that they can. So you know, being able to do that, to me, is what shows it's sustainable, is that this continues to evolve and the map gets bigger and there's more users and there's more contributors and we just keep barreling ahead. So I guess that's a takeaway for all our listeners. Have a project which is so awesome, people can't stop doing it. <laughs> and then you'll, you'll be fine. It'll all work out down the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much. We need to start wrapping up just because time. But this has been a really awesome conversation. I've learned a ton and I really want to keep learning stuff. Right now, I want to learn about what our spotlights are. Spotlight is a section where we talk about cool open source projects and or things that have helped us out recently and or we want to just shed light on. Justin, what is your spotlight today? Well, last week we had a gentleman by the name of Zeno on who wrote Dracula and he was promoting Dracula Pro. I bought it and I added it to Alfred, my task manager or my thing that get things done faster on my Mac. And it's so much better. It's so much easier to look at. It's just like the perfect contrast. So if you want to hear more, check out episode 27. And yeah, it was a great episode. Thank you, Justin. My spotlight is Leaflet.js. Leaflet is what I've used before when I had to build chloroplasts and maps and things. It's a really small, interactive, nice JavaScript library that uses OpenStreetMaps. So go check it out. It's really awesome. I definitely like it. Maggie, what is your spotlight this week? I would like to spotlight the QJS project. It's an open source geographic information system. And they are the reason that I found out about open source and then OpenStreetMap. And so I want to thank all of the wonderful people in that open source geospatial community today who work on that project. Alyssa? Yeah, I guess similarly, when I think about the projects that have that introduced me to OpenStreetMap and that I'm quite thankful to include like the PostGIS community. This is like the spatial extension of the Postgres work. And when I look at what I think are really functional, powerful open source geospatial 
contributors. I think of Postgis and the, and the leadership there. And I've learned so much about governance structure, the power of a tool in this space, and like respectful communication from the Postgis community. Awesome. Thank you so much. Now, before we finally end, where can people get involved? What can they do? Where can they find you? All the links. We are on Twitter, OpenStreetMapUS, and State of the Map US. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page, OpenStreetMapUS. Our organization page is OpenStreetMap.us. You can start mapping and sign up for an OpenStreetMap account at OpenStreetMap.org. The other organization we mentioned was Humanitarian OpenStreetMap team. You can find their tasks and contribute to OpenStreetMapping for Humanitarian at HotOSM.org. Alyssa, what did I miss? Say the map US. So that is planned for November 5th to 7th in Tucson, Eric. <laughs> the state of the map, I think, US is a really powerful tool for learning about OpenStreetMap and the people there. So I encourage others to come and to learn, no matter where they are on the map. Although it is in the US. Yes. And the website for that is 2020 state of the map dot US. So remember, remember the 5th of November, everyone. That's yes. when it is. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking. That's all. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye all. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, with enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage options, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash sustain.